0: Man, we're going to learn about uh, gospel freedom this morning. I want you guys to know that I'm learning about gospel freedom this morning, that, man, what we're going to be looking into, what Paul is going to be uh, communicating first to the churches in Galatia, and then to us, uh, 2,000 years later, is something that we need to hear, we need to to grapple with, we need to grasp, um, because it's incredibly important for how we live our Christian life, how we mature in our Christian life, how we deal with with things that have happened to us from the past that maybe cause us to go into different varieties and different levels of enslavement. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning. This is week 10 of our series through Galatians. We have three more weeks uh, in the book after this, Um, so Galatians 5. Man, Jeff destroyed it last week, if you guys were here, uh, preaching to us the end of chapter 4, reminding us. That we are the children of Abraham, the children of promise, uh, if we hold to the promises of God by faith over a works-driven effort. Now, some of you might be thinking, man, that just sounds like every sermon so far in Galatians, Ronnie. And there's there's some truth to that, right? But that should clue us in. To that, whatever scripture repeats, and especially Paul just repeating himself, progressively repeating himself all the way through the book, it means that it's necessary for us in order to just keep reapplying these truths uh, to our lives. Man, none of you walk in here on Sunday not needing to hear the gospel preached again. I'm not just saying that so you keep coming back either, but none of you don't need to hear it. I don't, I don't not need to hear it either. None of us don't need to become more reacquainted with justification by faith alone, which is just this, this, uh, this, this thing that Paul has been hammering out in almost every verse, every chapter. And the reason for that is because we are willfully forgetful people. We're willfully forgetful, which is why Paul's tone in this letter, if you've noticed, he says some crazy things. He's going to peek out today and say the craziest thing he said so far in the book, but that's why his tone in this letter is so urgent and so passionate about the things that he is trying to teach the churches uh, in Galatia. Now, I know you fellows are going to hate me for saying this, but I like to wash dishes, all right? Now, it gets worse. Wait for it. It gets worse. Because I don't like loading dishwashers, that's what I don't mean when I say washing dishes. I like washing by hand because I'm old school and I'm a gentleman, all right? (laughs) That's what I like to do. But this is what happens. This is the dilemma we fall into at at the Martin household. Occasionally, we have too many dishes to wash by hand, so I have to throw them in the dreaded dishwasher. Which, this is embarrassing, my wife has to show me how to operate every single time (laughs) Um, because I forget, because I'm so used to washing by hand, even though it's just that, that one button that I, that I don't remember how to push. I forget so easily. By the way, if any of you women are feeling happy about that right now, remember, I don't mow the lawn at our house, all right? The point... I'm not looking at my wife right now. Okay? The point is we need, listen, we need the grace of Jesus reapplied. Every week, because we are so forgetful. And because we are forgetful, we are so easily hindered from running well in our faith. So we're going to look at three different points today. Three concerns that Paul has for the church. Three things that he's encouraging the church. The first one is this, that he wants them to stand firm against enslavement. Secondly, he wants them to stand firm against enslavers, those who would enslave them. And he wants them to do these two things so that they are actually free to serve and love their neighbors well. So let's just pick up right here, chapter 5, verse 1. I'm going to go through the first six verses, and we're going to talk about standing firm against enslavement so that we experience and live out gospel freedom instead. Verse 1, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. This is God's word. We're going to stop right there for now. For freedom, Christ has set you free. This is essentially the summary statement of Galatians. He's talking about gospel freedom, and gospel freedom is when the grace of Christ frees us to live by faith and then love our neighbors like ourselves as the fruit of that faith. So we have been freed, Paul says, to a freedom that leads to flourishing, which means it's not just free freedom. It's not just do whatever you want freedom. That's not actually freedom. It's actually freedom with boundaries. Now, last week, uh, Pastor Jeff said I was bad at sports analogies, so I've decided to go with cats this week instead, (laughs) all right? So we recently rescued a cat from a cat shelter. Um, Now, listen, I need you to follow me on this one, all right? For freedom, our kitty cat has been set free, all right? Now, listen, that freedom doesn't make him free to do whatever he wants, and the reason for that is that this poor dude has been declawed, right? So to let him now freely roam outside would not be very freeing because the world is filled with scary beasts who have claws, like dogs, right? Right? So our cat has been freed to have a freedom that leads to his flourishing. He's been liberated from the cat shelter to now live under our care. Now, salvation in Christ is liberation. It's liberation to live in the love and the care of Christ. But it's a unique kind of liberation because it's a freedom from sin, not a freedom To sin, And this is a distinction that we need to make because we Americans understand freedom as the freedom to be free, which, by the way, I said it early, is just an incredible privilege. And and it's something we're reaping the benefits from um, right now is we have the freedom to do this. We have the freedom to be free to worship, but not just worship, but free to do many other things. Like post whatever we want on social media during the sermon if that's what you're doing. You have, you have the freedom to do these things. The danger, though, in having the freedom to be free is that the things you are free to enjoy can be the very things that end up enslaving you if they don't come with what we would call gospel boundaries, right? It's the same thing as if you tell your kids they're free to eat what they want. What, what happens if you do that? What happens if you're one of those awesome parents who lets their kids eat whatever they want. Well, in a sense, I mean, you, you look to them, you look like the best parent ever, with the exception of you've just, you just enslaved them. You've just enslaved them to Twix bars for the rest of their life. You've just enslaved them to tricks cereal, the kind of cereal I was never allowed to have growing up for the rest of their lives. You've given them the freedom to be free to something that, in the end will actually take away their freedom. Paul is pleading here with the Galatians. He's been pleading, and he's really pleading. He continues the plead. Have you ever had somebody plead with you? That's somebody, somebody that is just there saying, I just want you to know this. I just want you to see this. I just want your eyes to be open to this. Maybe you've pleaded with somebody. You've done that to somebody. If they can only see, if they can only grasp the truth, that's what Paul is doing. It's like he's looking at a square in the eyes and he's saying, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And by, the, by, by this word yoke, what Paul is saying is, it's actually a word that was used to describe the Jewish laws, right? So Paul is saying, don't submit again to these laws of slavery. Now notice that Paul uses the word again. He says, do not submit to this yoke of slavery again. Now listen, the Galatians were not Jewish, they were Greek. So how were they submitting again to a yoke of slavery by trying to keep the law? Well, what Paul means is that if the Galatians decided to walk away from the liberating grace they had received from the gospel and then trust in keeping the law to save them, it was the same as if they went back to their old pagan worship and practices, which Paul called in chapter 4, remember? He said these were the weak and the worthless elemental principles of the world. So Paul's here is pleading with the Galatians and with us. He's saying, stand firm. He's saying, don't be rocked into these things. He's saying, stand firm, which is actually a, a military term. He's saying, be strong and alert He's saying resist attack against the yoke of the law because it's the same enslavement you had before the gospel freed you to freedom in Christ. So to use today's language, all right, just to get us up to speed, use today's language. The Galatians were going from being amoral liberals to moral conservatives. And Paul says, guess what? Both are slavery. Remember that as you continue to enjoy all these wonderful political ads through Tuesday. It's all slavery if we let that be the thing that we are counting on to free us. Now, what Paul is addressing specifically here is circumcision in verses three through six. Now, look, if you don't know what circumcision is, I suggest you have a family discussion about it at lunch and be sure not to invite me to that. Um, Paul's point is that If circumcision is what the Galatians choose for justification, which means to be declared righteous before God, then they're obligated then to keep the entire law of God perfectly. We've heard this over and over and over again through Galatians. Why is that? Well, because if you choose to be justified by keeping laws like circumcision, then you can't stop there. You can't just be circumcised. You have to keep them all and you have to keep them all perfectly. It means that you have chosen salvation by false motivation. That's really what's happening. You have chosen salvation by good works, and you've rejected salvation by grace, which Paul says severs you. It cuts you off. It headless horsemans you away from Christ, which is what he's saying here in verse four. Well, how does it do that? In what ways does it sever you from Christ? Well, number one, you lose the value. You lose the advantage of Christ. He said Christ will be of no advantage to you. So you lose the advantage of Christ's sacrifice to give you freedom. Why? Because you now believe you provide your own freedom through your own sacrifices. And number two, you're severed from Christ because it's by grace that you've been made alive together with Christ, like Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.5. So, to reject grace... To reject it is to reject the gift of God, who is given to us through the unmerited favor of God, which is how we define the word grace. It's a gift. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it, but God served it. So let's clear up what Paul means then when he says in verse 4 that. They have fallen away from grace. His fear is that they have fallen away from grace. Does this mean the Galatians were in danger of losing their salvation? I want you guys to listen to me close as I unpack this a little bit. Does this mean Paul is saying, oh, no, Galatians, you're in danger of losing your salvation? Because it looks like that at first, and the answer is no, that's not what he's saying. And by the way, we don't teach that at substance. We don't teach losing your salvation at substance because the Bible is real clear about this. It tells us that God is solely responsible for choosing who he saves and then saving who he chooses. So if you have trusted Christ for your salvation, you can trust Christ that your salvation is secure. You can trust Christ that it's a sure thing. You can trust Christ that when Scott leads us through our assurance of grace as we're singing these songs, that it's just that. It's not an assurance because we had a great morning, because we didn't get into a fight with our spouse, because we didn't yell at the kids, because we remembered to make our bed, because we're just having a fantastic day and everything's clicking, and we barely had an evil thought in our head, and now we can have assurance. That sounds so ridiculous, but it's exactly how we think. It's exactly it's exactly what we fall back into. If you've trusted Christ for your salvation, you can trust Christ that your salvation is sure. If we had to rely on our own efforts to be set free from sin, we'd never have any assurance we were truly free because how could one be sure that they've ever been good enough? Where's the line? Who's drawing the line? How many good deeds makes a good person? Nobody has a handle on that. Why? Because it doesn't exist. Because it's actually against the gospel. It's actually against what Christ came to earn for us. The liberating truth is that since we didn't earn it, we can't unearn it. This means we can rest with assurance because God doesn't re us because we have a bad run. Why? Because it was never a good run that justified us in the first place. You're like, Ronnie, how many times are you going to say this? Forever. And then the next guy you get in here, he's going to preach the same way. And we'll make sure of that. What Paul means by falling away from grace, listen, is that if the Galatians continued in this pattern of trusting in Jewish laws like circumcision, you know what it it means? It shows that they never really trusted in God's grace in the first place. At the same time, this is what we get. This is the encouraging part of what we get is Paul who is dealing with his people that are all mixed up and all confused, like us. This is what we get. At the same time, Paul is confident that their faith is genuine, which is why he encourages them in verse 10. Look what he says. I'm going to jump ahead. He says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. We're reminded in 1 John 2.19. John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Speaking of those who claimed to be believers, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. What does this tell us? Well, this is the centrality of the gospel message. What it means is that a saved person always returns back to their Savior. God's grace transforms the inner heart and the soul of a person so radically so completely that when they have moments and even seasons of sin and of doubt and of unbelief, and that's everybody in here having moments of sin and you're in a season of doubt, and you're like, I don't even know if I believe these things. Well, here's the encouraging part. A true child of God is brought back into right relationship with God by God, the Holy Spirit, who leads them, who will lead you to conviction and repentance, and he will do that today if you're in one of those seasons, in one of those moments. What the Galatians were doing by choosing circumcision is they were removing their need for faith. But Paul reminds them in verse 5 that it's through the Spirit by faith, teaching them, convicting them, leading them, that a regenerated person now eagerly waits for the hope. So there's something about gospel freedom. There's something about a true child of God that is eventually brought back on the tracks and not only that but is reinstated with an eager hope for the work that christ not only is doing but will do and the culmination of that work when we see him face to face there's a hope there self-driven effort well that removes the sure hope of a savior driven righteousness that paul says we are to be eagerly waiting for now Maybe some of you would affirm this teaching of assurance in your mind and with your mouth. You would affirm it. But yet you walk around feeling condemned, constantly wondering if you're saved, asking can it really be true that God is pleased with me since I'm so displeased with myself all the time? You think I I know he knows my thoughts. I know he sees what I do in the dark. When no one sees. Man, if this describes you, let me just suggest that maybe you've never understood God's grace? Are you someone who doubles down on your efforts to be good so that you can have some self assurance that you and God are good? You think maybe if I just do something good, He'll overlook the shameful thoughts that dominate my mind and all the images that play in my head like an eternal binge watch on Netflix. Maybe he'll just conveniently forget and overlook those things if I double down. So here's my encouragement to you and to me. Will we believe the words of Jesus through Paul today? That it's only faith working through love that counts for anything That's what he says. Gospel freedom is falling into, not away, from grace. If you're a child of God today, it's because in love God chose you and predestined you before the foundation of the world to be his adopted son or daughter, like Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. It wasn't because you were lovable. It was because God is love. So stand firm, he says, against enslavement because for freedom Christ has set you free secondly stand firm against enslavers let's pick up in verse 7 he says you were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth this persuasion is not from him who calls you a little leaven leavens the whole lump Themselves. It gets a little rated immature right here. If you're thinking, is verse 12 saying what I think it's saying? The answer is yes, it is. That's how angry Paul is in seeing the people he loves being led astray. And the Bible uses strong language. Do you guys know that? Jesus uses pretty strong words himself in Luke 17 when he says, temptations to sin are sure to come. They're going to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Strong words, warning against people that lead other people astray. That's why Paul is asking them, look, who hindered you? Who is the one that hindered you from obedience and yet is confident that whoever it is, they'll bear the penalty for leading the Galatian flock astray? So Paul is saying stand firm against enslavers. And you know what? Enslavers, and they can come in all different shapes and sizes in our life, right? For many of us, man, this can bring us all the way back, we can trace this back to our family of origin. Maybe that's some of you. Your parents put such high demands on you that no matter what you did, it was never enough. Or maybe you were part of a church where the pastor just preached guilt like every week instead of grace. So for you to even imagine a God who loves you and accepts you, this fully and completely feels almost impossible to fathom. Maybe you have never believed that God has truly forgiven you because of the shameful ways you lived before you came to faith and because of the sins that have still lingered afterwards that haven't been killed so completely and so quickly. Listen. Whatever voice from your past or present is still whispering words of enslavement in your ear, know this, that these are not the words of Jesus who called you and committed himself to death for your freedom. Paul's words for whoever was troubling Galatians were so strong because he had such a tender love for them. And we need to remember that this is a reflection of the love that Jesus has for us. It's a love that is against anything that would ever sever you from himself and the freedom that he died to give you so that you would be eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness. So we must stand firm against enslavers of the law because their message is in opposition to the cross. Paul's like, these dudes not only attempt to chain you down, but they also twist my words they claim i'm preaching circumcision but if that's true why am i still being persecuted paul says circumcision removes the offense of the cross which paul told the corinthian church was was the only thing he was interested in preaching he said this in first corinthians 2 he said for i decided to know nothing among you nothing except jesus christ and him crucified that was the message of paul We have been called to freedom by God through the work of Jesus on the cross. So we must stand firm. We must be alert. We must guard ourselves against enslavement and against enslaver so that, finally, number three, we are free to love and serve others. Let's pick up in verse 13. It says this, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So what is the opposite then of enslavement to the law? Well, it's actually found in verses 5 through 6 here. Let me read this again. It says, For through the Spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. This is the first time Paul mentions the word love in the book of Galatians. But it's no wonder, listen, that whenever we find ourselves falling from the grace that severs us from Christ, the outworking of love that comes from this eagerly waited for hope will become hard to find. It won't be existing. There won't be the fruit of it. It won't be flourishing. Paul says that the freedom we've been freed to have in Christ is never an opportunity for the flesh, never an opportunity just to be able to do whatever we want, to become more self-centered, more self-consumed, but it's to serve one another in love, which he says is how the law, the law that the Galatians were trying to keep, how it's ultimately fulfilled. Now, let's be clear. Paul is not saying that the law should be abolished and done away with, right? Jesus said what? That he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it in Matthew 5, 17. In fact, listen, it's when we obey God by keeping his commandments that we are actually loving God and our neighbor. That is actually how we are fulfilling the law. So gospel freedom, then, it removes condemnation from the law, but compels us towards obedience to the law. Because we've now been freed from its power to condemn us and control us. So listen, when we love the Lord, when we keep the great commandment by loving the Lord with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourself, we'll be full of the fruit of obedience to God. The warning here is that when we have not been freed to the freedom that we have by grace through faith in Christ, our neighbors will suffer. That's what he's saying. Do you hear what he's saying? Do you hear that? Do you hear that as you look down at this passage? Self-justification leads to conflict with your neighbor. It leads to biting and devouring. If you look down to verse 26, it leads to conceit, competition, and envy. So all of these things, all of this move towards justification by circumcision to the Galatians, it was creating havoc and chaos and conflict within the church body. Paul says, be careful because that is the fruit of self-justification. But gospel freedom has the opposite effect. It frees us to keep the whole law by loving our neighbor as ourself. You guys remember the movie Shawshank Redemption? You would really not be an Ohioan if you, didn't, if you hadn't seen that movie. Two characters, Andy and Red, played by Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman, Both these guys were prisoners. They became fast friends. They were eventually set free in some different ways, unique ways. But they eventually experienced two different kinds of freedom. Morgan Freeman's character read, he was given the freedom to be free, to live life outside the walls of the prison. But he soon found that he actually felt less free outside the prison than he did inside. is that interesting? It's like a case study for what we're talking about this morning. Being free to live how you want doesn't mean you have freedom to live. On the other hand, Tim Robbins' character, Andy, he escaped prison. He changed his name. He moved to a town off the Pacific Ocean, which he described as a warm place with no memory. Now, in a sense, because all analogies break down, but in a sense, Andy was freed to freedom. To live as an innocent man with a new name. Do you guys remember how it ends? One of the classic endings, one of the classic film endings. It ends with Andy calling his old friend Red to do what? To experience his freedom. Andy didn't use his opportunity for freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. No. The result of Andy's freedom was demonstrated by his love For his old friend. True freedom is evidenced by love for our neighbor in which we fulfill the law of Christ. Not because it earns us grace, but because we are living out of the grace that's been earned for us. Maybe you are someone who would say, Ronnie, I was running well, but at some point my legs got caught out from under me, and I've never truly known this gospel freedom. Maybe you have never known or experienced the kind of grace that we're talking about. True grace. Biblical grace. The grace of Jesus Christ who saved you from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for you so that you would receive the Spirit by faith and eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Maybe this yoke of slavery has been returned to in your life so many times that it feels like normal Christianity to you. So be encouraged by the words of Paul, who trusted that the faith of the Galatians was genuine and that they needed to stand firm not only against enslavement and enslavers, but stand firm for the freedom they were called to. So many ways, as we look at this, as we end our time, this is a call for spiritual discipline for us. To remind ourselves of verse 5 over and over again so that our faith is working through love. A love that was given to us from Christ that we now have the freedom to extend to others. Not from guilt, not from insecurity, but because our guilt has been removed and we are most secure of all people. Because gospel freedom is a freedom from and a freedom to. It's a freedom from, this is what Keller says, it's a freedom from the guilt of my imperfect performance. It's a freedom from that. Well, what's it a freedom to? It's a freedom to love God and my neighbors with the same love given to me by the grace of Jesus. It's a freedom that we have been freed to have unleashed from our very lives. So let me finish today. Let me close with two quotes from Tim Keller who I think really sums this up much better than I can. Tim Keller says this. If we find ourselves unloving, the solution is not to seek to love better or more. It is to look at Christ who gives us an unlosable, unshakable acceptance from the Father. And as we dwell on our hope, we will find our hearts melted by his love and overflowing with his love to others that's gospel freedom and then he goes on to say this the gospel actually frees you to live any way that you want what but then he says this if you truly understand through the gospel who Jesus is and what he's done for you then the question you ask then will be how can i live for him And the answer will be, look at the will of God expressed through the law. The gospel frees us from the law for the law. It does away with our old, selfishly motivated and unloving obedience to the law and motivates us to obey the law out of love. Do you get what Keller's driving at? So all of this talk about not being justified by the law, it doesn't obliterate the law, but because of Christ coming and keeping the law perfectly for us by his righteousness now laid on our account, it allows us to keep the law the way it was intended to be kept by loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Why? Because the gratitude we have for the grace of Jesus Christ Christ, it means our motivations and our desires have been redeemed. And the very thing that is acceptable to God, which is loving Him and loving one another, is kept because Jesus kept it. And when God looks at us keeping it imperfectly, He sees Jesus who kept it perfectly. And we are free. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for gospel freedom. I know that we don't understand it. I know that I don't understand it the way I need to. God, I pray that this would be the beginning for some of us of some of these old enslavements, some of these things that have been nagging at us for years that we don't even realize. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would surface these things in our heart. Lord, that we would come before you, we would locate These things that are enslaving us that we are giving all of this time and attention to, these things that we are working very hard to accomplish because we think that you're going to be happier with us when we do these things. Lord, forgive us for ignoring Christ and his sacrifice, believing that our sacrifices are what pleases you. God, reform our minds and our hearts. Lord, let us know the love of Christ. Let us know the grace of Christ. Lord, build our faith this morning. Let us be people who eagerly are waiting for the hope of righteousness that is to come when we see you someday, but that is available to us today. Lord, we pray for transformation. We pray that this yoke of slavery that many of us carry, Lord, we would find relief, that right now you would remove that from us that you would remind us of that work no matter how many times we've heard it. Lord, that your spirit would teach us the truth of these words and that we would find comfort and rest and that we would encourage others in this comfort and rest, that we would be a church that is not tripping over ourselves to merely do good works, but that we would do good works out of love for you and for one another with the joy that none of us have earned our right or our standing before you. But Christ has earned that right. And so we stand before you today knowing that all we have has been given and is available. God, don't let us be so willfully forgettable people. Forgetful people. God, I thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for these hard words. I thank you for these gracious words. God, I pray that you would humble us to them. And we thank you for all of this, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.